0: Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. We're back with a new podcast today, and I think we're going to switch it up a little bit this time. And in terms of the order, I'm going to speak about one of my trials first and then get into some current events because I got to be honest with you, I'm crazy angry about what's going on in the world right now. I mean, not that I'm not crazy angry every day, but I'm especially pissed today and I think that if I do the current events first, I'm going to scream, I'm going to yell, I'm going to lose my voice, I could pass out, I could, you know, need CPR, and that would then end the podcast before it was fully complete. So I figure I better start it slowly and then end with the big finish. And the case I'm going to talk about today is a case I had with a Queen's abortion doctor who was charged a few years ago with reckless manslaughter in the death of his patient following an abortion that he performed. And when I first took the case, I felt that most people would think, well, how do you charge a doctor with a crime for something that he did in, in connection with his practice? I mean, it was a medical act. A patient died. It's awful. Um, it was a medical procedure. There are risks to all surgeries, and sometimes bad things happen. I mean, you hear about that kind of stuff. So that's how I sort of thought about the case when it first came to me, and that even if there is a mistake that's done in a medical procedure, it's usually settled in a civil context. You know, they have a trial or their settlement, faults determined, and damages are paid. But to rise to the level of a criminal case obviously was a big deal, and abortion's a hot-button topic, so not surprisingly, that would be the type of case where uh, they would bring. Uh, criminal charges. And that's happened in the past. There have been abortion doctors that have been charged with all sorts of heinous things. Although in this case, it, it wasn't someone who was massacring people. It was uh, an honest mistake, which is why he was charged with reckless manslaughter, reckless, not intentional, which means that the state needed to prove in part that the doctor engaged in conduct that created or contributed To a substantial and unjustifiable risk that the patient's death would occur, and that the doctor was aware of and consciously disregarded the risk. And to disregard it, it constituted, you know, in terms of if the doctor did disregard it, it constituted a gross deviation from the standard of conduct that a reasonable person would observe in the situation. So, what happened in this case, this one here? A woman came to see the doctor. And she was at about 24 weeks pregnant, which is the maximum gestation period allowed under New York law for an abortion. Anything after that, and it's an illegal abortion, unless the abortion is done to save the mother's life, which was not the case here. The state's evidence revealed that the doctor got paid $6,000 in cash and did the abortion in one day, not the two days usually required for such a late-term abortion. It's usually a two-day procedure because at that late stage, the fetus is large, and the cervix of the woman who's having the abortion needs to be dilated, and that needs to be done usually 24 hours before the abortion is performed uh, with something, and here's an example. What they use is called a, a laminaria stick, and that's just an example. Again, there's other things that can be used, but it's a stick that's inserted into the vagina. It absorbs moisture, and it expands and this gently opens the cervix, which then allows uh, for a large fetus, which is usually what they are at 24 weeks, to be removed without tearing the cervix. In addition, at the time the doctor performed this abortion, he had been investigated for doing abortions without a nurse present on the scene and without an anesthesiologist. He had dispensed the anesthesia on his own, even though he had no formal expertise in it. He had Uh, had a rotation in his residence, but he didn't have any, he didn't have obviously what an anesthesiologist would have. And that's against common practices that a doctor needs to have a specialist in the operating room to handle such a delicate thing as anesthesia. Our doctor did it all himself, didn't use nurses either inside the operating room. He had young kids, high school kids as used, I guess, as nurses during the procedures even though he was being investigated for not using nurses, not using an anesthesiologist, uh, the state claimed it was an effort to save money, he did the same thing with the patient that was the victim in this case. So it wasn't like we could claim that he didn't know that you know about these other practices. He had been investigated for the very thing that he did which according to the state led to the death of this woman. Beyond doing abortions in one day, late term abortions like this instead of two beyond not using an anesthesiologist or nurses, he cut the woman's cervix during the procedure. And it's ended up severing her uterine artery, which was, as you can imagine, all the blood flows through and she bled a lot. He had his high school girls acting as nurses, as I said, but they testified that he told them to fudge the numbers for her vital signs, for the victim's vital signs, when they were taking them every few minutes. According to the state, that was just more cutting corners. He was sloppy. The doctor tried to repair the tear, brought her back into the operating room for more surgery, and he thought that he had uh, fixed the uh, cut artery. When she left his clinic, which was a mess based on the pictures that were shown, it was a messy place. It's not the kind of thing you'd want to see if you're going in for surgery. The victim couldn't stand, and that was shown in a security video inside the offices. She was gray. She was in a wheelchair. Her head was, uh, she was had a difficulty keeping it upright, and her sister was a nurse who had picked her up, and she testified that she begged the doctor to take more vital signs and that the her sister was very sick. She claimed that her sister's lips were blue, which obviously suggests that she was losing blood, that she didn't have blood. That's why she had blue lips. According to the state, <clears throat> this abortion took place on a Friday uh, morning, but by the time The victim was discharged. It was late on Friday, and the doctor wanted to leave for the weekend. And a minute after the patient was shuttled out of the office, he left as well. A few minutes after the patient left, she passed out, and she died in the back seat of her sister's car. She bled to death. The doctor thought that he had repaired the cut artery, but he hadn't. She bled to death. And this was a tough case, as you can start to imagine now. There was really no defense for the doctor not using nurses or an anesthesiologist, but it doesn't mean that's what caused the woman's death. There certainly was no defense for cutting the artery and letting her go. I mean, sometimes that type of thing happens. It happens during abortions, but obviously letting her go was a mistake. It doesn't mean that it was a criminal mistake, though. But obviously, he should not have let her go. He didn't call for an ambulance. The sister wanted him to. There was really... It was a tough case, and the prosecutors wanted this doctor badly. They wanted us to take a horrible plea offer, like up to 10 years in jail. The maximum he was facing could expose him to 15 years in jail, and naturally, as like every other client, he wanted no jail. Now, I knew the prosecutor in this case, and usually I hate prosecutors because they're our natural enemies as a defense lawyer. This one used to be a defense lawyer for a brief period of time when he was young and when i think i told the story uh, last week or a few weeks ago about the mafia meeting inside the mcc in lower manhattan the prison and a sandwich was snuck in i believe brad the uh, prosecutor in this case i believe he was at that meeting i have to check with him but i'm pretty sure he was there and i think he and his uh The guy that he was working for at the time, he was a young lawyer back then, as was I. I think they might have represented Joey Bang Bang in that case. But I'll I'll check on that. Anyway, the prosecutor, because he was a friend, he brought me in to meet the judge the day before the jury selection. And this was not all that unusual. You go to the, it's not like this was a federal case. It was a little more informal with the state. And we went into the judge's chambers. And the judge was uh, leaning back in his chair, and he had a cigar out. He was smoking a cigar. Very uh, smiley guy, an older guy, but, you know, looked like the cat that swallowed the canary. And he tells me uh, right at the beginning, after introducing himself, that he knows of me, and I'm not going to be getting away with anything inside his courtroom. And he's smiling as he's saying this, so it was a little chilling, but it was funny. To me, I looked at it as a challenge. I view anytime anybody tries to stop me inside a courtroom as a challenge. And there was a lot of attention to this case, you can imagine, because it was an abortion doctor being charged with killing a woman. And we had weird religious zealots that were showing up in court. They would yell at us as we walked into court from the outside. They were so creepy. They would listen in on our private conversations inside the courtroom. And then the next thing you know, they'd be reported online and just filled with lies. they were wearing these huge crosses, just really weird, creepy fucking people. They were the worst, just disgusting freaks, ugly people. They hated us for representing an abortion doctor. You know, we're just the lawyer. We weren't doing the abortions. And the other side hated us for representing a doctor who killed a woman during an abortion. So we really, we couldn't win in this type of case in terms of the public. Everybody hated us from every possible angle. Now, in a case like this, you're desperate for anything to cling on to. It's an emotional case. The jury will be seeing a fetus with its head and arms cut off. You've got a very sad woman who didn't know that she was pregnant until it was too late, and now she's dead, and her sister uh, was going to be crying on the stand over the loss of her loved one. And, you know, these are legitimate uh, emotional ties if you're a juror. I obviously needed to muddy the reasonable doubt waters as much as I could, give the jury some reason to not convict, some frolic, a detour, distraction, anything. As a defense lawyer, what choice did I have? I I didn't. And there was mud to be had. There was mud in this case. The victim had gone to Planned Parenthood a few days before seeing my doctor, and they turned her away because she was too close to the 24-week legal limit for an abortion. In the medical history portion of the patient questionnaire that she filled out, she mentioned that she had a previous abortion, that she had lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, and that she had took, taken medication for it. She told the truth in that questionnaire. She also listed the reason why she wanted the abortion. She was unhappy with her partner, and she was afraid that the drugs that she was taking for her various maladies might have harmed the fetus. She was turned away from a second hospital to try to get an abortion because she was too far along, and that's when she found my client. This time, she lied about, in the questionnaire, lied about how far along she was in terms of the pregnancy. I think she said that she was 22 weeks instead of 24. She didn't mention that she had lupus or arthritis. She didn't mention the prior abortion. She didn't mention the medications that she was taking. She also lied about her name, used her sister's name and her sister's social security number, and tried to use her sister's insurance to pay for it. Didn't work. It was clear to me that based on her lying about the length of the gestation period and her prior illnesses, her present illnesses, she wanted to make sure that she was going to get this abortion, no matter what. I ended up bringing in an expert to testify that lupus could cause excessive bleeding And had my client, the doctor, known about the condition, he might not have done the abortion. I tried to delicately paint the victim and her sister as liars who wanted the abortion so badly that they didn't care if they were endangering the pregnant woman uh, in order to get the abortion. You had to be careful because if I'm bashing the dead woman and her crying sister, the jury's going to look at me like I'm a complete monster. Now, every state witness that they had lied about something in an effort to convict a doctor. I mean, they just believed he deserved to be convicted and wasn't a particularly sympathetic figure. But it was on small stuff. Uh, cops testified that when they searched the doctor's offices after the woman died, they specifically were looking for those laminaria sticks that are used for dilating the cervix and that none were found in the office, suggesting that the doctor never tried to dilate any cervix for an abortion, no matter how late it might have been. And it wasn't a necessary lie because it wasn't like we were claiming um, that it was a two-day abortion, but this is the kind of stuff they lied about. Nevertheless, we looked through all the pictures that were taken during the search because they take pictures as they search. And sure enough, we actually saw some of these laminaria boxes that were you know, sitting on the shelves. They just weren't found by the, the police that were doing the searching. And and as I said, none of this really made a difference because the doctor had actually advertised on his website for uh, advanced pregnancies that he would have two-day abortion, the first day for dilating the cervix, second day for performing the abortion. When the victim in our case showed up for her abortion, it started like 20 minutes later, even though she was almost 24 weeks pregnant. So that all went out the window for the two-day abortions. One of the doctor, one of their doctor experts testified and said that, He was not testifying for the state, was not testifying for the state. He was just there to tell the truth. It took me like 20 seconds of cross-examination to get him to admit that the state paid him for his testimony, that he went over questions and answers for his testimony with the prosecutor, and that he refused to meet with me before the trial. Nevertheless, he had said that, you know, he was just there, just playing it right down the middle, you know, not uh, aligned with either side. The representative from the New York Office of Professional Medical Conduct testified that they had investigated the doctor for not using nurses for dispensing the anesthesia on his own without having a specialist present. The investigation lasted a couple of years. The doctor even had testified in a hearing or an interview, actually, um, in connection with that investigation. And the investigator was forced to admit that they didn't take his license away, that they were just, you know, were still in the midst of it. So, My point was, obviously, how was the doctor to know what he was doing wasn't acceptable? They're investigating him for it. He admitted that he did it, and they didn't stop him. So not surprisingly, he did it again to this woman who ended up dying. Now, in this trial, I could not win a single ruling from this judge. Not a single ruling. Every single time there was a jump ball, I lost it. It it was awful he stopped every cross-examination he could to prevent me from laying a glove on any witness. It was just an exhausting trial. It was just physically grueling because I couldn't do my thing. And, you know, the judge promised me that he was going to stop me and boy, he wasn't lying. And one time I remember as I was walking away from the sidebar, you know, another loss muttering to myself, I mentioned to the prosecutor that, This guy was just killing me. He's just killing me. And the prosecutor laughed, Brad, that was my friend, I mean, my old friend. He laughed and he said, What are you talking about? This judge loves you. He's he says to me, he's letting you get away with murder. That normally he'd embarrass any defense lawyer that he could in front of the jury, and he wasn't doing anything like that to me, that he respected me. I was lucky. Who knew? I lost every single ruling. The jury was filled with almost no English first speakers. Really. This is not the Queens of Archie Bunker, all in the family. Queens has changed. If anybody's listening to this and remembers uh, Queens from maybe uh, the 60s or the 70s, no, that's not Queens anymore. Their first languages weren't like Spanish or Italian or Polish or Mandarin. It seems like they were from like all over the globe. Uh, They were like from parts of Africa that I never heard of. The judge told me before the jury selection that if I went to Port Authority, the bus station, at 2 o'clock in the morning and picked the first 12 people that I found there, that would be the jury that I'd be getting in Queens. And he told a story that one of his juries once acquitted on a case, and after they acquitted, that means found the defendant not guilty, one of the jurors raised his hand and says, when do we go for sentencing? That's how dopey Queens juries are. I mean, the languages they were speaking... I didn't know if they could understand a single word that I was saying. They could barely get through the jury selection. And as I said, it wasn't like these were like obvious foreign language. It was like those languages from Africa with like that that kind of shit. Like they just, there was no, there was just no chance that they could follow all the medical testimony that was coming in. I'm having to cross-examine one doctor after another, and they're trained to testify. They've only had 75 years of expertise in their you know, finite, very slim, thin slice of medicine that they were testifying about, and I had to learn it all and cross examine them, and they were just doing everything they could to kill me. It was just awful um it was like a four week trial. I was getting teamed up on every day the prosecutor and the judge and and it was just it was just brutal somehow anyway, the case eventually went to the jury after the summations and Somehow the doctor was not convicted right away. And we were now on our third day of deliberations and we got a little surprise. One of the jurors claimed that the doctor walked up to her in the courthouse security line and tried to tell her about evidence that the judge had excluded from the trial. She naturally told the court deputy, and you can imagine the response from the prosecutor. He was livid. He was crazy. He said that he wanted the doctor remanded instantly. That means like not longer allowed on bail and put into jail. And the judge said, no, I'm not going to do that. That was the one, the one ruling that I had won, because as he explained, and it wasn't for a good reason, he said that now that he had to question each juror to find out what, if anything, they learned about the doctor basically trying to obstruct justice, that the jury would be angry and would convict him in a minute once the questioning had ended. The jurors were all questioned, and they most of them knew about what happened, but they all claimed they could be fair, which, of course, I didn't think they were going to be fair after that. They obviously felt that the doctor did that for a reason, not a good reason. Incredibly, the jury did not convict after that right away. Instead, they came back not more than maybe a half an hour later and said that they were hung. Hung jury. It was shocking. Absolutely shocking. I was stunned. So at that point, the judge brings the jury back and then gives what's called an Allen charge, also known as the dynamite charge. And it's an effort basically to dislodge the impasse in the jury deliberations to get the minority members of the jury, the ones that were holding out against the larger group of jurors, like the minority opinion, to change their position. And this is when Brad, my friend, made his only mistake of the case. He's a great prosecutor. I think he's a defense lawyer now. A great prosecutor and really tried a flawless case for the state. As the Allen charge was being read, I saw two jurors in the front row with their heads in their hands. And while the jury instruction was being given, the other jurors were angrily looking at them, pointing at them. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, that's a 10-2 for conviction. <clears throat> and I looked over at the prosecutor's table. Incredibly, his head was down. He was t- taking notes. I don't know what he was taking notes about. But he missed the entire exchange. He missed the angry jury pointing at just the two people that were, it seems like they were holding out. His only mistake. Now, the jury went back to complete deliberations or at least continue them. And I knew I had to act quickly because I thought there was going to be a very quick conviction at that point. I grabbed Brad in the hallway and I said, look, we're willing to take a plea to negligent homicide, which was a lesser offense, offense which had not been charged. This would have the doctor claiming he was just negligent instead of reckless. And the lesser culpability would cause him to be facing just one and a third years in jail and could be released in 10 months on work release if he had a job. Had he been convicted after with the charge that was, and he was indicted on, he'd be facing 10, 15 years in p- prison, possibly. I had to get the doctor to agree to take it first, and, he, and I told him, you got to make a decision fast because we are running out of time. He agreed to take it. Brad got approval from his supervisors for it, and I ran, literally ran into the courtroom to tell the deputy that we had a deal. I was obviously afraid of a verdict. The victim's family had ag- had to agree to it as well, and I think they were afraid that because there was already a hung jury once that the doctor might get off and not get convicted. As soon as I run up to the clerk and tell the clerk that we have a verdict excuse me, that we have a plea agreement, all of a sudden he turns around now to go into the judge's chambers to get him to tell him of the plea deal. Instantly a court officer comes from back out from the jury room and said, We've got a verdict. They actually crossed the court officer that had the verdict in his hand crossed the court officer, the clerk, who was going back to tell the judge that we had a plea deal. I look over at Brad, he shakes his head, he says, deals off the table, no more deal. We want the verdict. So now I'm like, oh boy, what do I do here? And, you know, this is the this is when you're a defense lawyer, man. I had two associates with me at the time working with me. You're all alone. I mean, I'm just completely alone in this. I've got the the doctor, I've got his family, I've got his young son, his wife, and it's just all me. Because at the end of the day, I've got to figure this out. No, one, no one's going to help you. And this is how this business is. It's great when you win because you get all the credit, but if anything goes wrong, man, you're alone. You are on an island. And the judge uh, came out. He had no idea that there had been a a plea agreement that was reached, and he asks for the jury to be called in and for the verdict to be read. And I held up my hand and said, whoa, we had a plea deal, me and the prosecutor. And the judge was shocked, and he looks over at Brad and says, how could you give him a plea? The jury was about to convict. Now, all this is not on the record because in the state, every word that's said, including on sidebars, is not taken down by a court reporter necessarily. So the judge asked Brad if there was, in fact, an accepted plea offer. The prosecutor, Brad, sheepishly said, yeah, we we did have an agreement. The judge told me, he said, you know, I'm not required to accept the plea deal. And I knew that. But I had a feeling about this judge. And I I told him I understood. And the judge then gave me my first win of the entire month-long trial. He turns to Brad and says, do you want to be known as someone, your office want to be known as someone who reaches a plea deal, but then renegs on it. And I pegged him, the judge, as a man of character, a guy who had a sense of fairness. He viewed my client as guilty. He wanted him convicted. But at the same time, he was not going to subvert justice in order to get it. The prosecutor, Brad, went back to his supervisors. They were all inside the courtroom now because they come to watch a verdict. They show support for the state, for the prosecutors, whenever a verdict is ready. He comes back a minute later. He, after consulting with them, and said, "We'll take the plea deal." But now I have to get the doctor to actually allocute on the record and plead guilty. The judge said, and he made it very clear: if this guy refuses to accept responsibility, just once, I'm taking the verdict and I'm rejecting the plea deal. I'm giving you one chance. And after some arm twisting, the doctor took the deal. The verdict was never read. To this day, I have no idea. What the verdict was. And that was a case where literally uh, you're like <laughs> down by two points with one second left uh, in a basketball game and you're throwing up a shot from, you know, 50 feet away and somehow it goes in. The doctor was only facing at that point his minimum of 10 months in jail, could have gotten, you know, a decade easily. And that's how we saved, even though we lost that case, I considered that to be a pretty big win because the government, the state, did not get what they wanted at all. And uh, to them, I'm I'm certain it was a loss. Now, I'm going to take a quick break, drink some water so that I, I can get myself ready for the screaming that's about to occur. And we're going to talk about some current events. Jeffrey Lichtman for Beyond the Legal Limit. Jeffrey Lickman, Beyond the Legal Limit. We're back and we're going to talk about the big story that's still in the news, and that's obviously Russia's continuing destruction of the Ukraine. Now, they're obviously, as you've learned, they're indiscriminately killing civilians, they're bombing hospitals, they're bombing mosques, they're kidnapping mayors. I'm still not sure what Putin is expecting to get out of this as Russia is completely destroyed financially. They're isolated. They may never get back to where they were in terms of uh, global power and prestige yes they still have nukes and that's about it and probably the only reason why the world is not banding together to stop them although iran does not have nukes and for some reason they're causing mayhem all over the globe and have for decades and uh, not just in one neighboring country like russia and not only has the world not banded together to stop them but now it's bending over backwards to shower them with riches pursuant to this very soon to be announced new nukes deal with the West. So who knows if the nukes issue, uh, the possession of nukes by Russia is the reason why they're being permitted to slowly destroy their neighbor, a Western ally, and killing thousands of people. They're forcing millions to leave their homes and their country. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this as I did last week, but I want to point out a few points that are a little bit different. First, we as Americans, we have an opportunity to reset the world table right now. We can reset the world order. At the very least, it's exceedingly clear that the world powers should be divided up with America and the EU, European Union on one side, Israel, some of the non-terrorist Gulf Arab states on one side, you've got China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, And, you know, a a plethora of Muslim terror states, I suppose, on the other side. And these are true alliances now. And you're asking, well, why did I include the Arab Gulf states like the UAE, Saudi Arabia, and even Egypt? They're not on the Gulf. Why are they in our group? Because they are victims of Iranian terrorism and, as such, have been forced into an alliance with Israel, Iran's greatest enemy. So that's sort of sometimes how alliances occur. They're strange bedfellows, literally. Typically, anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic Arab states have woken up, and they're moving quickly into the future, and they don't want to be stuck in the Stone Age with a radical Muslim ideology that comes from Iran, comes from Palestine. And naturally, by daring to not toe the line, They get a massive terror response from Iran, which is the worst Muslim terror state that ever existed. But the veil has been lifted now since Russia invaded the Ukraine, and we can no longer pretend that Russia and China are our friends in any capacity. In any capacity, they certainly are not, and they do all they can to harm American interests, which is why it's so troubling to have seen Joe Biden. Begged China late last year to try to stop Russia from invading the Ukraine. I mean, China's our enemy. They're not looking to help us, they're looking to help Russia. And then to see Biden begging Russia to help with the, the horrible nukes deal with Iran, I mean, we've got this ridiculous Muslim terrorist loving envoy, Rob Malley. He's the negotiator for America, and he finished negotiating this horrific deal. And when I, I call him terrorist-loving, that's not hyperbole. He was fired as an advisor by the Obama administration once for having unauthorized illegal contacts with Hamas, the Palestinian terror group, which is funded by, you guessed it, Iran. Imagine Obama firing someone because he had too close ties to a Muslim terror group. You gotta be pretty fucking bad for Obama to fire you for that, right? Well, not surprisingly, now Rob Malley is in charge of giving away the farm to the same Iran in the nukes deal. The Russian envoy who is in negotiations with Malley and the other countries from the West that are negotiating with Iran, he laughed publicly a week ago about how much Iran got from this deal, more than Russia and China could ever envision. And this could not happen without a pro-Iran, pro-Muslim terror American negotiator in Rob Malley. I mean, you just It can't. And this is why he lost some of his American negotiating partners who were with him on this team negotiating because they protested over how much he was giving away to the Iranians. These are all red flags if you're capable of seeing red flags, I suppose. But not to this leftist administration and certainly not to uh, Joe Biden. Anyway, bending over for Iran has caused major problems with our allies in the Middle East. And they're exceedingly more important to America than Iran is, and they're naturally pissed because they're going to be the ones that are going to bear the brunt of Iran getting all of this frozen money, all these sanctioned reliefs. Relief, They're the ones going to be bearing the brunt because they're the ones that get terrorized by Iran. Now, normally Joe Biden doesn't give a damn about our Middle Eastern allies, and that includes Israel. The Democratic Party which controls him is deeply anti-Israel and deeply pro-Iran, pro-Palestine. It makes no sense, of course, none of this does, because Iran kills Americans and Israel protects Americans. Mike Pompeo, our former Secretary of State, is there is $2 million per month. It was recently revealed that is needed to protect him. Why? From serious, incredible threats from Iran. Pompeo was responsible for the Trump administration's maximum pressure campaign against Iran. And not surprisingly, the Iranian terrorists don't forget so easily. These threats exist now, not just when Pompeo was in office. They exist now, even as we're having indirect negotiations with Iran on the nukes deal. Naturally, in exchange for the massive concessions and money we're about to give Iran, Iran is not required to stop terrorizing America or her allies. I mean, none of this makes any sense if you are a sane human being. It also makes no sense as to why Biden has given the back of his hand to Saudi Arabia and the UAE, which are hugely important allies of ours, who do one thing really well. They pump out oil. Biden came into office, and because he's a Democrat, immediately changed America's tone towards the Saudis. He withdrew support for their role in defending themselves from Iran's terror proxy that's located in Yemen, which is adjacent to Saudi Arabia. Biden actually removed that terror group, Iranian uh, terror group, the Houthis, from the designated terrorist and removed its most advanced missile defense systems, our most, advanced missile defense system, and Patriot batteries from Saudi Arabia, even as the Saudis were facing continued air attacks from this terror proxy from Yemen. All this happened around the time that we screwed all of our allies in the Middle East, all of our allies all over, with the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, and, and we ceded the country to terrorists, the Taliban. None of our allies in the Middle East and elsewhere were happy with that, none of them. Further, Biden has been demonizing the Saudis for their human rights record, which is somewhat comical when you consider that he allows Iran to literally get away with murder. But the Saudis, nope, nope, nope. They're not allowed to, you know, do anything wrong. Our Middle Eastern allies are, you know, clearly aware of the change in tone and are pissed off at this administration. Well, guess what? Now that gas has risen to $5 a gallon at the pumps because of the sanctions on Russia, we suddenly need those oil-pumping Gulf Arab allies of ours, don't we? Biden, of course, calls them up to beg them to sell us more oil. And guess what happened? The leaders of Saudi Arabia and the UAE refused to take his phone calls. You can't abuse them one day, and then when you need them, pretend all is well. Biden knows that gas can't keep going up. Because if it does, no Democrat's going to get elected in midterms in a few months, right? And this is clearly his handling of the UAE and Saudi Arabia. is just another foreign policy disaster caused by him in a long, illustrious career of foreign policy disasters. So gas continues to rise in price. Biden is losing his mind. He refuses to pump more at home because his leftist handlers want us to stop using oil and just use electric cars. But in the short term, we have no choice because we have to fuel these cars, these trucks, these vehicles that are on the road. Only leftist freaks, for the most part, have electric cars. People, normal people and businesses, well, they need gasoline for their cars. So that's why you've got Biden. He's begging Iran to sell us oil. Yeah. What do you think they're going to do with that money? He's begging Maduro from Venezuela, who's under indictment for narco trafficking in New York. He's begging him to sell us oil, if you can believe. We've suddenly changed our tune with Venezuela. The guy's under indictment. There's a bounty on his head, dead or alive. Now, I'm convinced that the reason why Democrats inexplicably side with Iran, with the terrorists who run Palestine, with Qatar, you know, all Muslim terror states or terror backers. Why do they uh, approve of them over Israel, Egypt, the Saudis, UAE? I'm convinced it's for one reason Democrats just hate Jews. I mean, that's all. And I don't, don't tell me that Jews vote Democratic because the self loathing Jews do. Any Jew with a brain that knows clearly that that party uh, hates Jews, hates Israel because Israel is the Jewish state. And any of its allies are therefore not loved by Democrats. This is not Bill Clinton's Democratic Party. This is the party now of AOC that Alexandra ocasio Jimenez, whatever the fuck her name is, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, they all want Israel destroyed and they are very vocal about it. But let's get back to the bigger picture. The Ukrainian invasion of Russia allows us to reset world order. Even the weaklings in the EU and the European Union who are so dependent on Russia for oil and gas, they recognize that we need to weaken Russia now. Stop trading with them. It's going to be tough in the short term. We need to starve Russia, much the way we should continue starving Iran. But of course, the Democrats won't let that happen. Russia is a pariah state now with no trade partners but Muslim terror states and China. We need to starve them to death if need be. Eventually, Putin, who is solely responsible for this war, will be kicked out one way or another. I mean, they're not going to, the entire country is not just going to disappear because of one man. Until then, though, we need to degrade them mightily. And it's not just to to punish them for the uh, debacle in the Ukraine, but it hurts China, too. We want to hurt them as well, because they need Russia as an ally. And whatever we can do to degrade China, we have to do. We can't pretend anymore. Making them to have to pick up the slack for Russians starving will hurt them. We need to fortify our allies in Europe who live near Russia. And I mean fortify with missiles, you name it. Russia can't fight everybody. They're not going to invade everybody. So we have to have every type of weapon on the border pointed at Russia. Absolutely. Their military has been exposed as a joke. They've got a ton of weapons. They've got nukes, but their military is in total disarray. They have low morale. They're not capable of conquering the Ukraine and occupying it. There's no way. It's not like the Ukraine will suddenly want to become Russian or under Russia's control. I mean, they're going to be defeated, that's for sure. But that is a quagmire if I've ever seen one. Keep in mind that more Russians have been killed during two weeks of war with the Ukraine than Americans were killed in 20 years of fighting in Afghanistan. Russia is being degraded, not not by a huge amount, but they are being degraded militarily, but they're further being degraded because they're being isolated internationally. We got to keep doing it. They need to be degraded more. They need to be defanged and rendered impotent. We could do it if we woke up and stopped pretending that we need them in any capacity at all, especially in connection with this shitty Iran deal. They are our enemies. Iran is our enemy. If we learn nothing from Russia's invasion, it's that we don't want any crazed dictator to have nukes. At a time we should be running away from any deal with Iran, crazy Joe Biden is literally bending over for them. He's grabbing his ankles. It makes no sense at all. Now, just on Saturday, Iran, either through their terror proxies or on their own, launched Iranian-made missiles at an American military base in Iraq. They came from Iran. They admitted that they did it. Their terrorist arm, the Revolutionary Guard, Iran's uh, Revolutionary Guard, they took credit for it. As part of the nukes deal that's about to be announced, we've agreed to take sanctions off the Revolutionary Guard. So literally on the verge of signing this deal, the Revolutionary Guard commits terror against America. What's the response? we're going to no longer call them terrorists we're going to be re- we're going to be rewarding them by removing sanctions on them for their past terror even as they admit present terror why are we even talking to iran after what just happened on saturday they're attacking americans today it's an act of war we should have immediately destroyed their navy it's not a huge navy iran doesn't have a great navy they sh- every single boat, every single ship should have been targeted and destroyed. No warning, nothing. Destroy their Navy. Destroy it. Show them the power that is America. Every last ship. If they dare to respond, we target and eliminate their leaders. If they dare to respond, we start dropping bunker busters and destroy their nu- nuclear facilities. We don't have to work out a deal with them. We can just fucking destroy it. If they dare to continue threaten us, we destroy any ability they have to harm us. That is what power does. It prevents your enemies from being able to attack you the way Iran attacked us on Saturday. They think they can get away with it. We wouldn't even, we barely even responded to it. Ned Price, that thin-lipped, uh, that sweaty bastard who is the department spokesperson, said, well, uh, there's no evidence they were aiming at uh, Americans. Nobody was hurt. The Revolutionary Guard said we were aiming at the Americans. They took credit for it. We're trying to pretend that it didn't happen because we want the nukes deal to go through so badly. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's nothing more complicated than that. Do we want to live in a world where evil people who are weaker than us get to attack us? Or do we destroy them and teach them and their next generation a lesson as we did to Japan in World War II? We will not accept your evil. You will die or you will change your ways. It is stunning to me that we did not respond to this attack from Iran on Saturday. It is stunning to me that our State Department barely put out a comment about it and did not blame Iran. Naturally, of course, it was Israel that tipped America off about the attack before it occurred, so to ensure that no Americans were harmed. Any thanks from Democrats for that? Do you think Iran respects us? Do you think they respect our power? They're attacking us exactly at the time they should be on their knees begging us for sanctions relief for letting their people eat, for not destroying them due to their being the worst Muslim terrorist state ever. They don't respect us. They respect one thing, power. We're sniveling cowards. In response to that attack, we should have liquidated significant assets of theirs. The idea that we have to play them on an even playing field is a leftist invention, which is why I'm not a liberal. I believe in using your strengths and destroying evil. You can be patient about it. I'm very patient with uh, the people that harm me. They all get it in the end, though. Iran's evil regime should not be permitted any longer to terrorize the world. We can't keep on kicking the can down the road, hoping that evil changes. It hasn't changed in Iran since 1979 when the terrorists took over. It's not changing until they are destroyed. We are not going to negotiate any deal with them that will change their behavior. Russia is threatening to nuke anyone in Europe who dares to want to protect the Ukraine from an invasion. And we're afraid to bomb Iran to end their terror regime's existence? Do you think anyone cares if Iran's terror leaders cease to exist? You think China's going to get involved? You think Russia's going to get involved? Who? Tell me. Are we going to be sanctioned for bombing the worst Muslim terror state that ever existed? Sanctioned by by who? For what? No, no. We should have done it in 1979. Why we're waiting, I do not understand. End it. Now, before they get nukes. Back to Russia. On Sunday, they killed one American reporter and shot another, one or two others, in cold blood, after they had passed through military checkpoints and had their press credentials checked. They were off limits. Somehow, when Israel bombs the AP's building in Gaza, which hid Muslim terrorists, even after Israel gave them over an hour to leave the building and no one was harmed, the world exploded. Democrats like uh, AOC, Tlaib, Bernie Sanders, that self-loathing Jew, Ilhan Omar, that bald squad member, whatever the hell her name is, Presley, and then that Twinkie and Oreo eating Cori Bush, they all screamed bloody murder and demanded that Israel be cut off for aid. Why? Because they bombed the building, a press building that the Hamas terrorists were hiding in specifically for that reason, so that Israel wouldn't bomb it. Are you hearing anything from them now, now that American reporters have been murdered by the Russians? Nothing. If it's not Jews, it's not news. Our Congress has been infiltrated by Muslim terror supporters, period. We are fools for allowing this to happen. Joe Biden won't do a damn thing about this. He's made it clear that he's going to let Russia finish killing, an orderly killing of thousands of people, including now Americans in the Ukraine. He doesn't want World War III. He said it. And I'm sure that when, and of course, <clears throat> our enemies heard that. When Russia's done killing, I'm sure Biden will have a speech ready in which he'll squint his demented eyes and try to act tough. He's not tough. He's a weakling. He's a coward. He's a pants shitter. Beyond starving Russia with sanctions, we should be funneling as many weapons into the hands of the Ukrainians as possible by any means necessary. And I don't mean bullshit weapons, I mean major weapons that they can use against Russia, not against the invading forces in the Ukraine. Against Russia. The more harm done to Russia by our allies, the better for us. Iran will learn. China will learn. Russia will certainly try to blow up these shipments. That's fine, let them try. They have no problem stepping into Syria and unpacking weapons and assisting Muslim terrorists murder innocent people. We should have no problem giving the Ukrainians anything they need to destroy Russia. Iran plays the game, as I said, with their terror proxies. We can do it with our allies. Iran arms the Houthis, Hezbollah, Hamas. And when something happens, when those terror proxies do something, Iran says, what do you want from us? We didn't do it. And Iran doesn't get attacked inside Iran? That's bullshit. A degraded Russia is a positive for the planet. Isn't that clear now? Here's our chance. Biden refused to let Poland send fighter jets to the Ukraine claiming that that'll be World War III. Tell me, Russia gets to decide how this war goes? No, that's just typical leftist cowardice. Lloyd Austin that affirmative action abortion of our Secretary of Defense, who got the job for one reason, for the color of his skin, because we have to have equality in our military. We gotta have the right pronouns. We can't just have the most competent people to defeat our enemies. He claimed that giving The Ukraine fighter jets would be an escalation. So Russia, again, they should just be able to orderly destroy the Ukraine. And the Ukraine should not be able to defend itself from a modern-day Hitler. This is Lloyd Austin. He was the one. He's he's afraid of our enemies, what they're going to do. This is a guy who, during COVID times, was walking around outside wearing two masks. And on top of the two masks, a face shield over it. And he still got COVID. This is what affirmative action gets you, an incompetent moron who can't do the job, whose only qualification is his skin color. By the way, in the midst of this global emergency, Russia threatening to nuke anyone who gets in their way, killing Americans now, gasoline prices at $5 a gallon, Joe Biden is either oblivious or dishonest. He claims that inflation, inflation in America is solely the cause of Putin invading the Ukraine and not the massive leftist American spending. Inflation, again, said this before, was 1.4% in January of 2021, 5% over the summer, 7% in January, and now it's almost 8% since Russia invaded the Ukraine two weeks ago. Biden claims it's all because of Putin, from 1.4% to 8%. He lies so easily. Nancy Pelosi actually said with a straight face that government spending reduces inflation. This is not the truth. This is not how it works. Spending needs to be reined in. No one believes them. And while we're in the midst of the the worst inflation since the 70s, Biden does all that he can to make it worse. He uh, pushed and passed a $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill which includes $40 million for democracy programs in Venezuela. There is no democracy in Venezuela. $6 million to Russians engaging in free market development, humanitarian activities, and civic engagement. Fuck Russia! $10 million for improving television and radio broadcasting capabilities in Cuba? Increased funding for the IRS by $2.6 billion? Really? The IRS? Subsidies for green energies and climate policies, but not a thing to open up American oil and gas production. Billions to the Department of the Interior, but they haven't conducted a single oil and gas lease sale this year. How about millions for gender programs in Pakistan? Do we need to spend that? They're not our friend. $370 million for enhanced border security for Jordan. Lebanon, which is controlled by an Iranian terror group, Hezbollah. They've killed hundreds of Americans. Pakistan, our enemy, they harbored Bin Laden. Egypt, Tunisia, 150 million, of it's going to go to Jordan. Okay, 150 million. Presently, the United States is seeking the extradition of a female terrorist who's wanted by the United States for her role in a suicide bombing in Israel in 2001. It killed 15 people, including two Americans. She's been in Jordan for years, and Jordan refused to send her to America. Our response? Here's $150 million for your fucking border security. How about nothing? No money for nothing. Nothing until you return this terrorist. Our border security, forget it. Nothing for that either. It's completely open, our southern border with Mexico, letting in all kinds of criminals and terrorists, people that have COVID that we're not testing. We're concerned about helping... Jordan's border instead? $200 million for gender equity and equality? I don't even know what that means. What's the difference between equity and equality? 995000 for equity in the energy system? Are you aware that our energy is racist? 500000 for the Underground Railroad Museum in Ohio? Who goes to museums in Ohio? This museum is best known for trying to get critical race theory taught to grade school kids. 50 million for women's leadership fund. Don't we have enough with Kamala Harris as vice president? They should pay us 50 million for letting that happen. 3.2 billion for energy projects. 496,000 for health equity for pool improvements in Yonkers, New York because black kids can't swim? The fuck is that about? 569,000 for removal of derelict lobster pots in Rhode Island, 1.6 million for equitable growth of shellfish in Rhode Island, equitable growth? Are there too many white shellfish and not enough shellfish of color in Rhode Island? 4.2 million improving a, a sheep a sheep experiment station, 2.5 million for biking trails in Vermont, 500,000 for a new ski jump resort in New Hampshire. 3 million for a fisherman co-op in Guam, 10 million for sugarcane research in Louisiana? What the hell do you need to know about sugarcane? It's made of sugar, okay? Done. Just saved you 10 million bucks. 10 million to demolish a hotel in Alaska? These Democrats are nuts. Inflation is eating us alive and this is the message Biden and the leftist scum are sending us? It's a huge middle finger to America. While Americans are suffering, Biden is turning to TikTok influencers to battle Russian propaganda. Jen Psaki is briefing these 20-year-old morons from TikTok on what to say on TikTok about how evil Russia is and telling them to tell their brain-dead 20-year-old followers that Russia helped Trump steal the 2016 election. I'm not making this up. This is actually happening. Finally, in the midst of, of this world crisis, in the midst of inflation destroying our incomes, the left further shows its indifference to regular people by focusing their hate on a Florida parental rights bill. Jen Saki claims that Governor Ron DeSantis is a hateful bigot who's mean to kids, that he's discriminating against kids who are in the LGBTQYXYZ community. She said Joe Biden is horrified by the bill, which she calls it the don't-say-gay bill. Biden says that, that he has these kids' backs. Can you imagine Joe Biden having anybody's back? If that guy was behind me, that groping, freaking weirdo, I would not let him behind me. All this bill actually says is that for kids ages four through nine, that's like pre-kindergarten, to third grade, that there can be no class teachings about gender identity and sexual orientation. It just reinforces that parents, not leftist scumbag ponytail wearing teachers, get to speak to their babies about sexual orientation and trans issues. Let it be a parental thing at that age. No instruction inside classrooms on these issues from age four through nine. Is it asking so much? What kind of sick freaks need to smash this type of stuff into the faces of babies? No particular sexual orientation is targeted by this bill. No classroom teachings for any sexual orientation is allowed. Straight people too. And I'm for the gays. I just don't think that a four-year-old needs to hear about it. Leave them alone. Or you're going to lose the kids and they're all going to get taught privately at home. Or in private schools, can we stop grooming small kids to be aligned with leftist propaganda? Does everything Democrats do have to involve sex and terrorism and spending other people's money? Jesus Christ! And there's one other issue I've got to talk about before I leave you. Is is back to uh, the Ukraine. Uh, this is this has been bothering me, and I I am so tired of the leftists, the Democrats, their Muslim terror supporters. They're all the same. Pretending that the world has a double standard when it comes to how it views the Ukraine and Palestine in their respective wars with their neighbors. These two peoples could not be more diametrically opposed. The Ukraine is an American and European ally that was invaded by a modern day Hitler who simply wants the country back for the old USSR. The Palestinians are led by internationally recognized Muslim terror groups that celebrated on 9 11 they've killed americans they've killed europeans they're funded by the worst muslim terrorist state that ever existed gaza has stores named after hitler openly openly hitler too look it up gazans openly wave the swastika they send bombs into israel uh, on swastika kites Historically, the Palestinians sided with the Nazis against the Jews in World War II. What other place on Earth can a store named Hitler exist? Gaza? Palestine? The Ukrainians are completely blameless in this so-called war. They were invaded. They did not fire the first shot. They have never launched any rockets or bombs into Russia. They are fighting a defensive war. They are desperate for peace with Russia and would take any offer of peace they can, as long as they can exist without being invaded and destroyed. They have no interest in taking over Russia. They have never once suggested they're interested in anything but their own land. They gave up weapons of mass destruction decades ago solely in exchange for peace with Russia. The Palestinians start every war with Israel. They have turned down peace offer after peace offer and do not want peace with Israel. They want Israel destroyed. They constantly speak of Palestine existing from the river to the sea. That's all of Israel. They have maps in which Israel is erased. The Ukraine is a democracy with elections. The last presidential election was held in 2019. They do not hide their bombs or their fighters behind children or in schools or in hospitals. They do not strap bombs onto themselves and blow up cafes, buses or schools in Russia. They are not an Islamic country which hates gays, kill gays or honor kills relatives. Palestine is a Muslim terror entity. They have no elections unless you count one every 20 years as regular elections. They strap bombs onto themselves and blow up Israeli restaurants, schools, buses. They hate gays. They kill gays. They honor kill their relatives. The Ukraine civilians are being targeted. Their hospitals are being targeted. Russia is making zero effort to spare civilians in the Ukraine. They are attacking the Ukraine's nuclear reactor. Like the Russians, Palestinians, and rockets at the Israeli nuclear reactor in May, in the May War, with the hope that it would cause a major calamity, which would have affected them as well if they were successful. Like everything else they do, they were not successful. There were thousands killed in the Ukraine by Russia, the vast majority civilians, thousands. Israel is desperate to avoid civilian casualties. They warn their targets to get away from areas that Israel's about to bomb so that humans, even terrorists, are not killed when Israel strikes. In an 11-day war, which the Palestinians started in May, they launched about 4,500 rockets into Israel. Israel carried out about 1,500 bombing runs of terror targets in response. Only about 250 Palestinians were killed, mostly terrorists or from Palestinian terrorist rockets, which fell short and landed inside their own idiotic country. Somehow, 1,500 Israeli bombing runs accounted only for a few dozen Palestinian civilian deaths. Many of them were were human shields placed by the Palestinians in harm's way with the hope that they'd be killed and that deaths would be used for propaganda purposes. Over 2 million Ukrainians have been forced from their homes, their country, in two weeks of fighting. The number of Palestinians that are alleged to have been forced from their homes due to fighting wars that they started with Israel is a fraction in over 70 years. Think about that. 70 years, less refugees than the number of refugees forced from their homes in the Ukraine in two weeks. Despite the relatively tiny amount of casualties in Gaza during the May 2021 war, the world reacted in horror at Israel, which did not start the war. The outrage over the slaughter fest in the Ukraine pales in comparison to the criticism and hatred that Israel received in its defensive war with Palestine last year. Where's Rashida Tlaib? Where's AOC, Ilhan Omar? They voted against Russian sanctions, at least she did, voted against sanctions against Russia because they'd hurt regular Russians. But she had no problem supporting sanctions against Israel, even though Israel, again, didn't start the war and never targeted civilians. She wants Israel defunded, disarmed, so that Muslim terrorists can slaughter Israelis. Omar is okay with the Ukraine, a place filled with Jews not being able to fight back against Russia, an ally of Palestine. Let me make this clear. The Ukraine and Palestine are the same with regard to their last wars, as a killer of children is the same as a policeman who shoots the killer. They both killed, right? The Ukraine and Palestine are the same with regard to their last wars as a rapist who impregnates his victim and Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch are equal fathers, okay? Enough with this bullshit. Suddenly ISIS is not good. Suddenly the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah and Boko Haram are not good. Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad are not good. They are Palestine and Palestine is Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Cut the Jew hatred out of this for a second and stop lying. Palestine and its insane supporters want a no-fly zone over the area when they next attack Israel? Here's their no-fly zone. Stop shooting rockets into Israel and no Israeli warplanes will fill the sky. Does the Ukraine have that same privilege? No. Finally, and this is the end, Iran supports Palestine. Iran supports Russia. North Korea supports Russia. North North Korea supports Palestine. Hezbollah supports Russia. Syria does. They both support Palestine. China supports Russia and Palestine. You see the pattern here? This isn't rocket science. Muslim terrorists, bad. Communists, bad. Israel and democracy (laughs) is good. Israel and democracy is good. Stop the bullshit just because you hate Jews. Jeffrey Lickman for Beyond the Legal Limit. As promised, I am losing my voice. I'll be back next week for a new episode. You can find me on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. If you have any feedback, go to beyondthelegallimit.com. You can send me an email with your thoughts and anything else you'd like to uh, hear about in the next podcast. Thanks for your attention.